Do you have a tech startup idea or just not really sure how to raise capital for the business that you want to start? Or maybe you just want a step-by-step process on how to get your business off the ground. Well, you don't want to miss today's episode as I interview Craig Lewis, who recently raised over a million dollars for his tech startup company that he is launching. And he's going to give us tips and tricks of the trade on how to make sure you have a firm foundation for your business. Let's get started. You're listening to the Markeith Braden Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping emerging entrepreneurs create a profitable life and business they love. And now your host, professional keynote speaker, digital marketing strategist, and master lifestyle coach, Markeith Braden. Craig Lewis, thank you for joining me today on the Marquee Brayton Podcast. I'm excited that you agreed to do this interview because I've been following you on LinkedIn, saw some of the great things that you were doing, and I was like, this brother is somebody who needs to be a part of the Marquee Brayton Podcast just because we are always talking about entrepreneurship. We're always talking about how do you, you know, build a business from start to where you have built yours to today, and so... I'll just introduce you real quick, and then we'll come back and let you uh, share a little bit more information about yourself. But Craig is the founder and chief entrepreneur officer of GigWage, a tech startup that raised $1.2 million to build modern payroll tools for the future of work. Pay your independent contractors in seconds is a part, one of his taglines. He said they design payroll that meets the demand of your on-demand workforce, simple, fast, and easy. So, Craig, welcome to the Marquee Brain Podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, Craig, go ahead and tell us a little bit more about your journey into entrepreneurship and, you know, what you did to start to build your business called GigWage. Yeah. So, um, I got started actually professionally in sales. So, sales and marketing, but with the heavy emphasis on sales. And I, I've always believed that sales is a, a great breeding ground for entrepreneurship. It's about, to me, as close as you can get uh, in corporate America with having a job to entrepreneurship. You control your own budget. You've got to go out and you kind of, you know, you eat what you kill. And it's, uh, it's very entrepreneurial, even if it comes with a salary and benefits. And so I cut my teeth in sales, um, was making a lot of money myself, but I realized I was making the people I worked for a lot more money. Mm. And uh, somewhere along the way, decided had to get my courage up and uh, decided to start my own company. Uh, And then I actually took steps to do that. So I joined another startup before starting this so I could get even closer to the ground floor of how do you build a company. Uh, Spent a couple years doing that. And then, like I said, when the time was right, uh, dove in head first and launched uh, this company. So when you were thinking about starting your company, you know, because I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs who are working full time and building that side hustle or building yeah. income on the side. Tell us a little bit about that experience, because we know, I know by, from reading your bio that you have worked several places prior to starting GigWage. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of philosophies that kind of go into um, starting a business like when to leave your job, when to quit, how much you savings you need. You'll hear all these kind of philosophies. And 
I, I've grown in this thinking a little bit. I used to be like an all-in kind of guy. Like, that's just my nature. My mentality was like, you know, I don't know if I have six months savings, 60 months savings, zero savings, but if the time is now, I'm going. That's kind of my mentality. Uh, but what I've learned over time is that's not for everybody. And so, um, you know, some people, I think, I, I, you know, I recently kind of, I was doing some research on this and I saw this other thing where like, especially in the African-American community, some of the, the underrepresented communities, that's just not feasible to leave your job, quit with nothing, with, with, without any preparation. And so sometimes, you know, I advise people to, instead of quitting your job, start to cut out some of your uh, extracurricular. And while you're building your side hustle, uh, what you'll find is as you cut out the extracurricular for your side hustle and you've got your job, there'll come this kind of tipping point to where you've got your side hustle to a point to where going to work is actually costing you money. And then you can kind of make the jump. And so I've been advising a lot of people that have jobs to kind of take that approach. But me personally, I just, it was just a matter of getting my courage up and going all in. It, there wasn't like a long buildup process of, I'm going to start it. I'm going to start it. I was kind of like, I knew I was going to do it one day. And when I was ready, I just went. And, uh, you know, they always say like entrepreneurs jump out of a plane and then build the parachute on the way down. That's, that's me hardcore. Um, And so I had gained enough experience along the way doing sales, enterprise sales, uh, you know, been in set in board meetings, you know, been a part of capital raises, been a part of building product, been a part of, a lot of different things. I just knew I had the pieces to do it. And so, you know, I've got a, a pretty big stomach for risk and I just jumped in head first and, and started this company. We bootstrapped it, which means I self-funded the company for about nine months. Uh, and then uh, we raised our first $600,000 of capital, which we can probably talk about that a little bit more. And then um, learned some things, messed up along the way, actually pivoted and kind of rebranded into gig wage, raised another, $600,000 in capital. Um, and uh, yeah, and kind of brings us to where we are today. So that's good. You know, did you have a, a dollar amount before you made the transition into, you know, starting your company full time? Or did you just jump out there? and yeah, take I the- just jumped, man. I, I, I had no plan. I remember when I first started the company, I'll never forget this. I mean, like literally day one, I was like out trying to raise money. Like <laughs> no product. All I had was a pitch deck that I had worked on kind of on the side. I had this deck. It was really, I'm, I'm big about pitch decks. I think uh, they're important. And if you do them well and do them right, they can be pretty impactful. And all I had was this one page overview of the business and like a 13 slide deck. And like literally day one, I'm out talking to investors and trying to raise money with nothing. But I kept hearing this question. Well, how much, uh, how much runway do you have? Like, mm. and my answer was always like, I, I don't have any runway because I'm just going to keep going until I get it done. And then the, the follow up question, the joke would be, well, how much runway does your wife give you? Like when, <laughs> when does your wife tell you, you need to, you know, have some money in the bank. But, but, but I, I didn't have, you know, a set amount of savings or like if, if we don't get it done, I just knew I was going to keep going. And that's kind of been my, my MO this whole time is just persistence, dedication, uh, determination to like, figure it out along the way and not know that I'm not going to stop has kind of become my competitive advantage. Awesome. Awesome. So in this first half of the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about the foundation. You know, what were, you know, some of the key things that you knew you had to do um, 
prior to taking the risk and taking the risk in order to make sure that the company was going to be successful because many people who want to jump out there, they want to take the leap, but sometimes they just need that step by step. They don't know where to start first before they take the leap. So walk us through a little bit on, you know, if you do have an idea, you know, what are those things that one needs to start thinking about before really jumping out there and taking that risk? I'd, I'd probably push back on that and say that, it, you know, when you're not an entrepreneur and you're looking to become one, you get in the, the habit of, or we, we were taught kind of like, oh, you need to think through a bunch of things. And, and, and you do need some preparation. But you end, a lot of times entrepreneurs will get analysis, paralysis by analysis, right? And they'll overthink, I need this. Or, man, I need, I need to understand how to put my forecast together. Or what's my go-to market strategy? Or who's going to build the product? Or do I need a board? And you start to think through all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, what you really need to do, if you just have an idea, is figure out who the customer is and how quickly can you get them to pay for it. You may not even have it, right? I, you know, I, you, can, you, you can put a, the most beautiful business plan together in the world. Once you actually get in the market, that plan can, will probably crumble, right? It's not, you know, Mike Tyson has the quote of everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Once you're, as an entrepreneur, you're going to get punched in the mouth. And I think the most important thing you can do is get out there. Start talking to customers. Try to service customers and learn that way. The customers will give you product feedback. The market will start to tell you like, oh, well, you're selling this for 10, but it costs you 12 to make it. So that business plan won't work, right? So can you sell it for more or do you need to find a way to sell it at scale? You know, I just would advise people not to overthink it. For me personally, it was about getting out in the market. I had an idea and I just started getting it out there. The other big thing I would tell you is instead of spending a lot of time thinking in our heads, what I did was I talked to everybody I could. People always say, oh, well, do I need an NDA or, man, I'm in stealth mode. I don't want, I got this great idea. I don't want to tell anybody about it. But what I found out was no one can help you if you don't tell them. Mm-hmm. So the first thing to do, if you don't understand your financials or your business plan or how to build a product or how to build a team, start talking to people about your idea and you'll start to get this information of like, oh, I know this person that might could help you out or, you know, this particular firm might can help you with your accounting, et cetera. But my advice is really not to overthink it. If you've got an idea, get out there, start talking to people, start selling something and then iterate along the way. That's, that, that's how I went about it. So don't overthink it. Nah. So one you don't things, know. Right, right. One of the things I read in your bio, though, was that you, you pretty much kind of stayed in the same industry and niche that, yeah. you were, that you were employed in. And so is that important when it comes to tech startups or when it comes to starting a business that you're, you're staying in a skill set or in an industry for which you already know? Yeah, it's been helpful for me. I would say... Uh, there's an argument to be made that you could come from an outside industry and bring a different uh, perspective and a different level of innovation. Uh, For me, though, I was passionate about the industry that I was in, and I saw all of the problems that are in the space. And so I just kind of dedicated, again, commitment. I was like, man, once I knew I was going to be in payroll and payments and HR and tax, all that kind of stuff, I was like, oh, I'm in. Like, And so for me, it was all about understanding the nuances at the macro level, uh, understanding the the customer problems, understanding the industry challenges. And I figured if I had put 
a lot of time, effort, and energy. I used to spend 220 days a year on the road traveling. Every market you could think of, selling to every type of customer, big and small. And I had put all that time, effort, and energy in. So there was no way I was going to waste that and go, you know, try to build a social media app. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it's been very helpful when I talk to investors, uh, when I talk to uh, potential staff members and partners and customers. They appreciate how long I've been dedicated to the space and, and, and my, my commitment to the industry and innovating in the industry. So it's been good for me. Good, good. So you had that, you had that experience, you had that skill. How important was that, though, to the people who you were pitching to? Yeah, well, it's huge, right? So, uh, like, if you don't, if you're a first-time entrepreneur, it's really hard to have credibility, right? Mm -hmm. You have a, a vision, you have a big idea. For me, though, when I would sit down and talk to at the table, no matter if I'm sitting across the table from a billionaire or someone who sold a company for you know, $6 billion or $50 billion, and they were really smart people, what I, what I quickly realized was they didn't know more about payroll than me. They didn't know more about payments than me. They didn't know more about the gig economy than me. And so they were intrigued by my knowledge, by my kind of intimacy with the space. And so it was very helpful because it gave me instant credibility. They looked at me as a thought leader when they make introductions to other people, oh, this guy knows his stuff, right? And so I didn't have to overcome that barrier because I knew the space, you know? If it was a new space that I wanted to innovate in, I would have been learning kind of, you know, on the fly while trying to build the company. But, you know, I had done it all. So it's been very helpful. Uh, people appreciate it. Uh, people value it. And so, you know, again, and, and not to harp on this, but especially in underrepresented uh, minority groups, that's one of your advantages. You know, if you've been a banker for 10, 15 years and now you're ready to start a company, probably going to have some credibility if you start in banking, trying to jump out there and do something else that you've seen on TechCrunch or in Silicon Valley. It may not be advantageous to you, but if you know something well, why not innovate in that space? That's good. You know, when you talk about this whole idea of tech startups and just technology in general, and correct me if I'm wrong, you don't find a lot of African-Americans in the space or you seemingly don't find a lot of African-Americans. Yeah, it's a small group of us. <laughs> in the space. And so what would you say to that uh, young African-American male, female who is interested in starting uh, some type of tech business, but yet they are not sure how to start and, and, and start moving in a direction that there are not a lot of people who look like them in that space. Yeah. I, I look at it as an opportunity. It's a, it's an opportunity to be different and stand out. Sometimes it's better to be different than it is to be better. And so, you know, for that young person up and coming, I would say, do it. And I would tell them, you know, more about technology than you think you do. Um, so, you know, I'm a guy that, you know, a lot of my peers, uh, technology and entrepreneur peers have these great stories about their dad coming home with a Commodore 64 and they learned how to code when they were eight. I don't have that story. Right. Uh, I didn't own my first computer until I was in my twenties. Like my mm -hmm. house was not a tech household. I was not a tech guy. I was on a basketball scholarship. I played ball. I did well in school, but not tech. Uh, so anybody can do it. But for those that are young and up and coming and you know, I'm an old millennial. I think I barely made the cut. But the younger millennials, uh, you use technology and consume technology and, and, and digest technology every day. You, you just got to pay attention to the stuff that you're using. Like when you're on Snapchat and 
you know, even like this interview, you know, the technologies we use for this stuff, if you just pay attention, you can say, oh, that's how that works, or that's why that makes sense, or what business model does Snapchat use? And you can start to apply everyday use cases and technology and, and, and just go for it, man. Like, you're going to learn along the way regardless. Don't be intimidated. It's not a lot of us. That means there's more opportunity to get busy. Now, where, where are you located now as it pertains to your company? Are you in the Silicon Valley area or do you have to be in that area if you're starting a tech business? Yeah, no, I think, listen, Silicon Valley is great. Spent some time out there. Previous startup I was with was launched in Cupertino, moved to San Francisco, went through an accelerator out there in Silicon Valley. Um, but I built this company in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I'm super excited about everything. I've raised money from Boston to, to San Francisco, but super excited about everything that's happening in between. I think there's a ton of capital, a ton of entrepreneurial spirit, um, and you can do it in other cities. And that's being shown more and more and more. There's a lot of venture capital funds spinning up that only fund stuff outside, kind of in this middle Bible belt area, if you will. Um, so, yeah, I, I've built this in Dallas from the ground up. I love being in Dallas. I've had opportunities to take the business out to the valley. Nothing wrong with the valley. You can build great companies there. You can scale, probably more important than starting companies now. Silicon Valley is a great place to scale a company. But you can do that in other cities, too. Dallas has wonderful exits. We recently had a company that sold IBM for $2 billion right here in Dallas, like hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in exits. So. I, I like Dallas. I, I like our chances here and uh, I like our connection with the people, right? We're kind of outside of that bubble that's in the Valley. But again, I, I appreciate what the Valley's doing. It's the greatest wealth creation we've seen since the East Texas oil boom back in the 1930s. So I appreciate what they're doing. I'm not hating on it at all, but you don't have to be out there. Awesome. Well, this is the first half of the podcast. And the second half, I want to talk to you, Craig, about the power of the pitch and then a step-by-step kind of process on how to go from $0 to $1.2 million raised for your business. We'll be right back after this commercial break. At the end of the day, we all want to live successful and impactful lives. We all have dreams and aspirations that we truly want to achieve, but sometimes it's hard to get it done and to achieve those dreams and visions by ourselves. Sometimes you need to hire a coach or have a mentor. That's why I created the Inspire and Elevate Strategy Session. These strategy sessions allow you an opportunity to pull on my own personal expertise of being an individual who went from a nine to five and started his own successful speaking and coaching business. If you have a desire to move to your next level, if you have a desire to take some steps toward creating the lifestyle that you've always wanted, book your strategy session today. Go to markeithbraden.com, click on the work with me tab and listen to the video and look at the testimonials of the individuals that I've helped along the way. Your time is now. Your time is right now. Let's move you to your next level. Let's achieve the dreams and goals that you have by you booking your Inspire and Elevate strategy session. I know 
This is your opportunity. Now let's just move on it. Welcome back. We are speaking with Craig Lewis of GigWage, which is a tech company, a payroll tech company that Craig started. And in our last first half, we were talking just a little bit about his experience as he uh, went from being employed in the payroll industry to starting his own company. And now we want to talk a little bit about the power of the pitch, because I know that's important to entrepreneurs who are wanting to raise money, whether it's a tech company or any type of company. You know, you have to be able to tell the story. You have to be able to pitch in a succinct manner in order to raise that money. And then we want to also talk about Craig's step-by-step process or his experience of how he went from zero dollars to raising 1.2 million dollars for his tech startup so craig let's talk a little bit about the power of the pitch or maybe we should start with the experience first and then go into the power of the pitch so let's talk a little bit about you know what is that step-by-step process you went through in order to raise that money yeah a lot of there's a lot of uh misconceptions out there about raising money and raising capital First thing people need to know is every business is not designed to raise every type of capital. So you really need to understand like what you want to do, right? There's, there's bank loans, there's venture capital, there's private equity, there's, you know, different types of venture capital and different stages of money that comes from different people. So you really, you know, everybody gets excited because they read the headlines about XYZ company raising a million dollars, $10 million, $100 million. But that doesn't mean your business requires that to be successful. Uh, there's a lot of pressure that comes with raising certain type of money. Not only do you have to make enough money to keep the business alive, but you at some point need to make enough money to pay those investors back. And depending on what type of uh, investors they are, they want a lot of money back. Right. And so you have to be able to understand is your business, the type of business that can spin off that kind of cash and can you uh, acquire that kind of capital? And so that's the first thing. It's really hard and you need to understand if your business is really designed for that, if you're the type of entrepreneur that wants to do it. So um, there's no one path to raise money. Everybody's hustle is different depending on what city you're in, what type of capital you're raising, what type of business you're raising, uh, building, what type of experience and background do you have? For me, uh, I come from a sales and marketing background. So fundraising is very similar to the sales process. So I was able to take a lot of the things I learned in sales and apply it to fundraising, uh, building a pitch deck in sales. We call this sales presentations, a lot of similarities. But what I really did was I spent some time at a startup that raised capital and I was a part of the fundraising efforts. And that's how I learned. Got to see it. What are, what are investors looking for? How do you speak to them? How do you get in touch with them? What's the method of like setting the appointment with the investor and getting their interest? And so for me personally, experience is everything. And if you can join, if you're ready to start a company, if you can join a startup before starting that company, mm. that great advice. I think take it, do it, try it, uh, and learn on the job. So being a part of a startup really can give you that experience and, and, and some of that navigation that you need in order before you start your startup. Even more so than corporate experience, right? There's just no way to simulate a startup environment in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. So you didn't have any money. You knew you had, you, you wanted this business, you know, who were some of the first people that you reached out to, uh, to start building capital for your business? 
Yeah. So, so in Dallas, I reached out to all the angel groups, all the, like, there's, you know, you can kind of, there's like these groups of business professionals, high net worth individuals that come together and they're, you know, they're a part of all these angel groups. Every city has them, you know, you might have the Kansas city angels or, you know, whatever. And they're called angel groups. So I started reaching out to those people. I went to the co-work spaces, started having conversations, um, went to the accelerators, told them, hey, I'm starting a company. I'm raising money. Who should I be talking to? Started reaching out to people cold. Nine times out of the 10, cold stuff isn't going to work, but it gets you in the groove. It gets you talking to people. It gets you, you know, perfecting your pitch. So my strategy was day one, I started reaching out to the angels in Dallas. Who is writing 10 25, 50, $100,000 checks, what groups are coming together and listening to pitches. Uh, and that's how I got started. None of those people gave me money, <laughs> but, but that's how I got kind of in the rhythm of, uh, you know, iterating on my pitch deck and understanding, you know, what I should be saying. And along the way we started getting product traction and customer traction and all that stuff. But I just started reaching out cold to the angel investors in my local city what people need to understand, too, is especially when, when you're raising venture capital for technology, um, I think it's somewhere like I think the National Venture Capital Association uh, or National Association of Venture Capitalists, whatever it is, did a study. Uh, angel money is typically invested within two hours of the angel investors front door, meaning it's very rare that I may be here in Dallas and some angel investor at an early stage gives me money from San Francisco. So your early money is going to come from friends or family. Unlike me, I don't have friends or family to do that kind of stuff or local angels in the area. And that's where I just started. And I just pounding the pavement, just calling, emailing, getting introductions, which is actually the best way to get an investment is to get an introduction to an investor from a credible source. So the first investor that gave you money was due to a relationship because you said none of the cold calls or none of the cold reach outs were successful yeah what was different about that very first person that gave you yeah it's funny you say that so <laughs> uh being a sales professional for a lot of years one of the things i realized was cold calling worked but the return on your investment was very low okay um introductions worked a lot higher return on your investment but the best chance I had at selling the deal back in the day was an inbound lead, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I went out fundraising, I said, well, let me do the cold stuff to learn. Then I'll do the introduction stuff. And along the way, what I need to figure out is how do I create an atmosphere where investors are interested in what I'm doing? Um, and so my very first investor, and I want to say almost all of my investors have been inbound. Okay. And so... Uh, the very first guy I've never Which forget. means what? When you say means inbound. They called me. Okay. I didn't call them. Like, I didn't reach out and say, hey, I'm raising money. Will you give me some money? Um, they, uh, they initiated the first contact. And so my first investor, I'll never forget, uh, I had gotten some press, some local press on our company and what we were doing. And he saw it uh, and was impressed by it and had some experience in the space and had his... Uh, executive assistant called me up and, you know, Mr. Rich would, would like to meet with you. And I'm like, who the hell is Mr. Rich? I don't, you know, and, uh, you know, and that, and that was how my first investment happened. He saw a piece of press that I had um, and uh, called and he got in and then some of his friends got in. And then once you got a little bit of money going, you can kind of 
get now those referrals that you get to other people become more real because they're not the first money in somebody else has already kind of put in and then it just starts to snowball from there you get introductions your current guys or girls make more introductions Um, but my first person was was an inbound lead meaning they called me and said hey i'm interested in what you're doing i'd like to learn more so you bring up something that i think um is important even for myself and that is how how important is kind of like that local press yeah, it's been huge for me. News. It's been huge yeah. for you? It's been huge for me. Local press has been, uh, it, it provides a lot of credibility, a lot of validation. Um, and for those people that can't necessarily get that, you know, we have our own social channel, social media channels, right? And kind of serves as your micro local press. Um, and I, that comes with mixed reviews. Some of my investors like my social media activity. Some of them don't. Uh, the ones that don't, oh, well, (laughs) the ones that do, it's great, but you've got to find a way to get yourself out there because how do you get an inbound lead? How do you get someone to call you? Again, how do you create an atmosphere? Whether you're looking for investors, how do you create an atmosphere where someone wants to invest with you? Or how do you create an atmosphere where a customer wants to buy from you? Um, You've got to get it out, the brand out there, whether it's your personal brand. And typically at the early stages of raising money, they're investing in you, not necessarily the brand. So I had to get myself out there so that we could attract investors. That's Um, good. That's good. Yeah. With with customers, you want to get your brand out there so you can attract customers. Uh, And social media is a great way to do that. Local press is a great way to do that. Uh, Thought leadership, content, blogs, interviews, stuff like this. You got to get yourself out there. Hell, when we finish this, it'll go to my investors and some of my network and probably some of the same stuff I've said to them 10 times will sound different because of this medium in this channel. Right. Uh, right. So that type of stuff is important. I like what you said because, you know, even in watching shark tank at the end of the day, those investors at the beginning are investing in you. Yeah. They always are asking the questions, you know, how much time can you dedicate to make the company is successful? Well, cause the yeah. idea will change. The market will shift. Uh, you know, all kind of things change, but are you the type of person that's going to stick to it and get it done no matter what? Do you have the type of team that can execute and excel? Those are the things that are important, especially at the early stages. That's good. That's good. Man, this is good information. So let's shift a little bit to the power of the pitch. You know, you, 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 you had to reach out. You reached out. You did the cold calling. Wasn't so successful. But the inbound was successful. But even with the inbound, you still had to convey the story. You still had to do the pitch. Give us, you know, what that looks like. You know, what should be included in the pitch? How long should it be? You know, all of the, the law. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's uh, good stuff. So there's different theories on this, uh, and the theories evolve on the pitch. And so particularly around or specifically around the pitch deck, you, you can go on Google and find examples of like all the great tech companies, early stage decks, Uber, Airbnb, Google, Facebook, you can find all their decks and see kind of how they did it or replicas of how they might've done it. And so, um, there's different schools of thought. Some people say you should have seven slides in your deck and they should cover these things. Some people say 10, some people say 13. I've tried all of those and kind of found my sweet spot of how we put stuff together. 
bottom line is you want to make sure you've got enough information to convey the type of business you're building, the market you're serving, how big that market is, your team, um, what is your kind of competitive advantage or your mode or your, your, th- your differentiator? What are you doing? That What's your secret sauce? Um, and then how much money you can make and how you get that money back to investors. And then also, you know, how much money you're raising. Uh, and that can come in different orders. One of the things I've found in my pitches that is helpful is a little bit of education, mm-hmm. uh, meaning uh, just a really succinct way of kind of explaining the industry at a macro level. Because even though these investors are smart, they don't know everything about every industry. Uh, and so if that takes you 20 slides or 10 slides or two slides, I think those are important. So like for me right now, our deck is like it comes in and there's a, a brand kind of intro deck that says gig wage powering the future of work. We have a quick slide that says what the gig economy is. And then we give an overview of our business. Uh, and then we give an overview of um, specifically the, the solution we're putting in the market. Then we talk about the macroeconomic shifts that are important to gig wage. Let me know if this is all too detailed, but no, it's good. Then we talk about the problem. What is the problem we're solving? Uh, we're talk- then we say, why does this problem matter? Uh, and then after that, we talk about our product, right? And so our technology and our product and uh, then how big is the market? Is this a big enough market to get the type of returns, the type of investors we're talking to need? Uh, then we get into some more kind of macro data. Um, Kleiner Perkins did a bunch of stuff around online marketplaces in the gig economy. We put some of that graphical data in there. Then we get specific. Here's our target market. Like here's who we're targeting. Uh, here's what the competition looks like. I don't particularly like to spend a lot of time on the competition, but investors want to understand who the players are, who's doing it. Has anyone done it successfully? Who are you up against? I think you should spend more time focused on the customers than the competition, but investors want to hear about the competition and and how you're different. Um, Customer testimonials are great to include. If you have those, what's your business model and then your traction, you know, whatever your KPIs are, right. Your key performance, um, uh, indicators, uh, whether that's a sales number, a revenue number, a customer number, are you growing? Are you growing fast? Like that traction needs to be succinct and clear. Um, Go to market strategy, your projections. Um, if you've got a great pipeline and we like to add our pipeline in there, one of the more important parts is the team and your experience. And then how much money do we need and what are we going to use the money for? That's like our whole presentation. And we do that in about, if you take out the intro slide and the exit slide, we do that in about 18 slides. 18 slides. Wow. Some people would say that's a lot, but they're not building this company. So they can, right. if they want to do 13, they can do 13. And those but, some, uh, are some good things for everybody to consider and to think about whether it's a tech startup or any, not. Doesn't you matter. Any business. All those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I that's, know that was a lot, but I just. No, that's good. That's good. We're going to have this transcribed so people can. Uh, have it as well on the website. So one last thing before we uh, end today's interview, and that is at what point did you say it's time for me to get paid from the business or are you getting paid yet from the business? Yeah. So every, yeah, every, every business is different, right? And so when you think about it, you know, I self-funded the company for the first nine months. Uh, We brought in investor capital you hit tough spots where I had to kind of step back in and fund certain things. 
Um, and so every company is different. If you're a 21 year old starting a company and you dropped out of college, you may not need as much money. Um, and, and every startup has different idiosyncrasies. For me, I'm 36 years old. I have a mortgage. I have four kids. I've been married 11 years. Uh, certain things just have to get done and have to get handled. And so I, my investors understand that. And so there's a certain, you know, there's certain gives and takes there. The vast majority of my team is between 30 and 40. They have families. And so it depends. Uh, there's no like right or wrong answer. Obviously investors like when the founders aren't paying themselves, but they also like it when you've got, when I'm the largest investor in the company and I put, you know, hard and soft dollars over a quarter of a million dollars into this company. Nobody's invested more to me to, to date. So, you know, everybody's a little different. Um, and you just kind of got to take that. But what, whatever you do is if you're going to take money, uh, invest the money and pay yourself, pay your team, whatever, just be transparent about it, be open about it and make sure you're bringing on investors that understand your company and your circumstance. Awesome. 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 Well, Craig, man, I do appreciate you joining me today and giving us these golden nuggets for yeah. individuals who want to start a tech startup or who just are ready to start their own company. So what would you say uh, in these final words to that person who's kind of, they're on the ledge, not sure if they're ready to, yeah. to do it, but you know, they know they need to, if they're going to really experience life the way that they really want to experience life. I mean, the simple answer is just go for it, right? Um, uh, but if I had to go into detail about what that means, I would just say whatever your dream is, dream a little bit bigger. Uh, don't be as afraid to mess up. Fail a little bit faster. Uh, and whatever you do, just get better along the way. Uh, but whenever you start it, the time will be right, and there will never be a right time to start it. So just go for it, man. Like, life is short. Uh, everybody's situation is different, and you won't know if you don't try. You won't know if you won't try. How can people uh, learn more about you and, and maybe get in touch with you and learn more about GigWage? Yeah, so on all the pretty much social media channels, I'm Craig J. Lewis. I think Twitter, I'm Craig Jamal Lewis, but everything else is Craig J. Lewis. And then all the social media channels at GigWage, G-I-G-W-A-G-E. Um, and so those are, the, you know, I'm direct at Craig J. Lewis and the company is at GigWage, or you can go to our website, gigwage.com. Awesome. Well, once again, man, appreciate you joining me. And hey, I look forward to seeing what all is in store for your company. Thanks. Indeed. Appreciate you having me. Take care. What a great interview with Craig Lewis. This by far is one of my favorite episodes. If you like today's episode, why don't you go over to iTunes and leave me a rating and review of this episode so that I know what you really liked about this episode episode or this interview. Also, I thank you for joining me for another episode of the Marquise Brayton Podcast. I love bringing you this valuable content each and every week, though sometimes I miss a week or two. But you are so faithful to listening in and sharing with me your thoughts of the episodes. If you're interested in a strategy session, all you have to do is go to MarkeithBrayton.com and click on the Work With Me tab, and there you can find more information about the strategy sessions that I offer to all of those who are interested in taking their business, taking their life, taking their dream and vision to the next 
level. Also, I offer everyone a free complimentary 30-minute consultation if you just want to brainstorm what your next steps are for your endeavor. I hope that you have a great rest of the week. And just remember this, always shoot for the top because it's the bottom that's overcrowded. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Markeith Braden podcast at markeithbraden.com. If you've not subscribed to the podcast via iTunes, subscribe today and be sure to leave Markeith a rating and review of today's episode. Just remember this, always shoot for the top because it's the bottom that's overcrowded.